back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Wednesday. It is hump day. One day before game day, and I am your host, Travis Wingfield, here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, just a little bit more than 24 hours until kickoff for week number three, we're going to get you ready for that game comprehensively, starting with John Congemi's three keys to the game, my preview, main matchups to highlight, we'll hear from running back Miles Gaskin, and get you all the latest on Dolphins-Jaguars for tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. All of that and more on a busy Wednesday, September the 23rd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and kick this thing off with the latest injury report as we produce this podcast. We're going to have an update on this game with the Wednesday final report later up on social media on MiamiDolphins.com. But as for Tuesday, Dolphins listed 10 players on their injury report. One player did not practice. That was Byron Jones, the cornerback. We had four limited participants in that practice with safety Clayton Fedulum, cornerback Xavier Howard, defensive end Shaq Lawson, and wide receiver Devontae Parker. We also had five players who were full participants in running back Matt Breida, receiver Jakeem Grant, defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, as well as two linebackers, Alandon Roberts and Kyle Van Noy. On the Jacksonville side of things, receiver uh, DJ Shark and Tyler Davis, the tight end, were both limited. So too was kicker Josh Lambeau. Center Brandon Linder did not practice, and neither did safety Brandon Watson. And it is a little bit different this week with a different schedule for the Thursday night football game. So usually we get to John Congemi's three Keys to the game on the Friday podcast. We're going to go ahead and do that today, right now, as a matter of fact. Really enjoyed watching the Buffalo game alongside John and kind of sharing our notes back and forth. Really cool to get that inside look there from a guy that knows the game so well. And he has his three keys out for the Dolphins at Jacksonville. His number one key is to win on third down because the Dolphins' defense has not played with the aggression most anticipated heading into the season, John says. They haven't made plays behind the line of scrimmage or forced the opponents into making mistakes, especially on those third down chances. He says New England and Buffalo both were able to stick to their game plan, running and passing on their terms. It'll be up to the Dolphins to force the Jaguars out of their game plan and the Dolphins to really force the hand and show what they want to do and dictate take the pace of the game that way and we heard Josh Boyer talk about that on Monday the reference to we have to get off the field on third downs because the more plays you're on the field that's going to just create more opportunities for the offense more issues and test your conditioning even more so getting off the field on those third downs obviously key and dictating the pace of the game on your schedule. Number two for John here is to force force Minshew mistakes. That's hard to say. Jacksonville second-year quarterback is a lot of fun to watch. You guys know how I feel about him. Go Cougs. He brings a lot of energy and enthusiasm to the Jaguars' offense and huddle, his scramble ability, the ability to go off script and make plays, but you force Minshew outside the pocket. You force him into some possible errant throws. That's how you can get him. We're going to talk more about some of his statistics later on in the preview portion of this podcast. And number three, Three for John here on the keys to Jacksonville. 
running a pass-first offense. He says sometimes you need to mix up the offensive game plan a bit to achieve the results you're looking for. And Miami's run game through two games has not complemented the passing attack, rushing for a total of 186 yards. He talks about Miles Gaskin's 5.4 yards per attempt and second on the team with 10 receptions. The offense has had more success early this season, he says, when it starts off aggressively throwing the football. And we saw that in the Buffalo game, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick talked about that. Chan Gailey talked about that, how sometimes the defense can dictate what you do in the running game if they're going to put seven eight guys in the box up against your six guys to block them that becomes a challenge right you have two couple of free guys coming into the running back that way and Gailey mentioned and Fitzpatrick mentioned some of the play action passing game throwing in behind the linebackers using the middle of the field the in-breaking routes and we're going to cover more of that on the preview here but once again John's three keys to Jacksonville went on third down force Minshew mistakes and pass first offense and with that let's go ahead and turn the script here and get to my preview up on MiamiDolphins.com. This thing is lengthy. It's in-depth. It's in the weeds. Got an early start this week because we had to get out in front of things with the preview piece with the Thursday game. So I had some extra time to kind of fine-tune this thing, and I'm very proud and very happy with the result. Up on MiamiDolphins.com, let's go ahead and review the preview here for Dolphins and Jaguars tomorrow night on NFL Network at 8.20 Eastern Time, 5.20 for you folks out in the West. At TIAA Bank Field, 0-2 Dolphins, 1-1 Jaguars, 76 degrees, partly cloudy, 84% humidity in northern Florida. And this is the battle of the two youngest teams in the NFL. It's about a five-hour drive up north, up I-95. The Washington resident in me had to look that up. About a five-hour drive, a little more than an hour flight. So pretty close proximity here for the Dolphins on a short week. And I always try to look at how these two teams, or the Dolphins and their opponent, I should say, measure up both with the parallels and the differences. Last week, we talked about Sean McDermott's Buffalo team kind of having the same starting point as Miami from 2019, Buffalo beginning in 2017, and how they both kind of emphasize culture and toughness and smart players. Well, this Jacksonville team has done a good job this last offseason of acquiring draft capital the way Miami did last offseason, and they play hard for their head coach. Doug Marone gets the most out of those. Those guys and both teams rallied late on Sunday in their games but came up just short in divisional contests with either side hoping to carry that momentum into a mini bye week you get a victory you enjoy the weekend you enjoy the next week and get ready for week four it's a good time to get a W here for either of these teams and this game will serve as the first primetime game for many a young players in this game again two of the youngest teams the two youngest teams in the National Football League but it's not the first time Jacksonville's Gardner Minshew has seen primetime you might recall last year Minshew Mania NFL version not down and Pullman at Martin Stadium there with the Washington State Cougars but at the NFL level was born on a Thursday night football game that also was in week three when he threw a pair of touchdown passes in his first career win over the Tennessee Titans the Dolphins look to bounce back on a short week under the primetime lights this matchup pits two young teams who are still developing their chemistry their camaraderie trying to find their identity in a very unique season plenty of intrigue to cover in this battle for Florida and the Jacksonville personnel does start there with quarterback Gardner Minshew he threw just one incompletion and three touchdown passes on opening day in that season opening win over the Indianapolis Colts he follows up that hat trick with another one in the week two loss to Tennessee so he has six touchdown passes on the year had a couple of picks in game number two but they were both deflections at the line of scrimmage late in the game there so not really sure how much you put stock into those but coming out of that air raid in college out of that Mike Leach system he really can process the defense quickly 
quickly. You have to in that system. And he also has that flair for the dramatic. He has 12 runs of 10 or more yards in his young career. Coach Flores talked a little bit on Tuesday about his ability to get out of the pocket and scramble and make plays that way. Running back James Robinson, another player that Coach referenced in his press conference he has nearly the double the snaps of Jacksonville's number two running back in Chris Thompson, who, of course, reunites this year with offensive coordinator Jay Gruden coming over from Washington. Robinson is the first undrafted rookie running back to start opening day in the NFL. He's rushed for 164 yards and scored a pair of touchdowns, one receiving one on the ground early on here in his rookie season. And he runs behind an offensive line that has plenty of continuity in Jawan Taylor and Brandon Linder and A.J. Can and Andrew Norwell, a bunch of big guys up front that have been there for a long time together, and they've allowed just 13 pressures through two games so far on the quarterback. That's, of course, according to Pro Football Focus. Minshew himself is credited with five of those pressures and three of those sacks. He will hang on to the ball a little bit. That's kind of how you create that magic, right? The Ben Roethlisberger approach, hang on to the ball, try to extend plays that way. It can bite you a little bit at times, but with these guys, with Minshew, it typically winds up better for the quarterback because he's so adept at making plays. But four of the Jacksonville linemen grade above their positional average on pro football focus. So a good offensive line. Out wide at the receiver spot, DJ Chark produced his first 1,000-yard season in 2019, but through two games so far this year, he has just 25 receiving yards, but he's a sudden shifty receiver with plenty of speed to burn. Dolphins will have to take care of him to find a way to win in this game on Thursday. LaVisca Chenault Jr. out of Colorado, the rookie. Love this guy coming out. He's going to test the Dolphins' ability to tackle because he has a thick lower half and the ability to really just bounce off defenders in that second level and create big plays after the catch. He's going to Line up all over the formation too. We'll talk more about that here in just one moment. Defensively, the show is ran by Miles Jack and Joe Schobert. More on those guys here and Josh Allen defensive end in just one moment. In the secondary, Jacksonville is very young, very green, but very aggressive and playing well so far. As rookie cornerback first round draft pick CJ Henderson starts alongside Trey Herndon, who is in his second year as a starter there in Jacksonville. The first round pick Henderson, he's limiting quarterbacks to a 53.8% completion rate so far in the early going, while Herndon is at an even 50% completion on throws targeted for his man. Josh Jones, the safety, looks to have found a home in his third NFL season, seven or third NFL city, I should say, so far. Green Bay, Dallas, and now the Jaguars. Seven of his 19 tackles this season qualify as run stops. Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage. Some of the matchup highlights to look at here, the Dolphins pass rush versus the Jaguars offensive line. We heard from Coach Flores on Tuesday talking about the importance of getting more pressure on the quarterback and trying to find ways to create pressure on opposing offensive lines. And Gardner Minshew, this guy plays high efficiency football with that dash of magic. The off script playmaking, you can't really plan for that because it just kind of is Jim Sandlot football kind of happens on its own. But Making the pocket uncomfortable for him, that's a winning recipe against the youngster or really for any quarterback. When under duress in 2019, his rookie season, Minshew averaged 5.3 yards per pass attempt with a 41.9% completion rate. And he also finished his rookie season tied for the fourth most fumbles with 12 starts as the Jacksonville quarterback last year. But when he was kept clean, Minshew completed 68.3% of his passes for 7.6 yards per pass. That according to Pro Football Focus. And of Miami's 19 quarterback pressures this year, seven of those have come from the interior rushers, Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, and Devon Godshaw. Godshaw and Davis have two apiece. Wilkins has three per PFF. Additionally, linebackers Jerome Baker and Kyle Van Noy both have a pass rush pressure coming from the B gaps. That's the space between the guard and the tackle. 
on the offensive line. So really nine pressures of the 19 coming on that interior rush up the middle. And all but four of Jacksonville's pressures allowed on the other side of the ball have come from their interior offensive line from the quarterback or the running back working inside there in pass protection, forcing Minshew off the spot and plastering on the back end will be critical. Once the quarterback breaks the pocket, the play kind of breaks down on the back end. You have to plaster and man coverage. You can use that physical Uh, Once the quarterback's outside of the pocket, disrupt the routes that way. It'll be key for the Dolphins' defensive backs to make that happen. And look for Christian Wilkins with his quickness and crafty rush arsenal inside to make an impact on this game. The next matchup I'm going to highlight here is Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the defensive end, the pass rusher, versus both Jesse Davis and Austin Jackson. No returning Jacksonville defender. They lost Calais Campbell as well as Yannick Ngakwe this offseason. So no returning Jacksonville defender has more quarterback pressures in 2019 than Josh Allen. And after one pressure in the season opener, he had three in week two, beginning to heat up a little bit here as the season goes along. The number seven overall pick in 2019 really vaulted that draft stock into top 10 territory with a 17-sack senior season at Kentucky. He combines a rare, rare blend of length and athletic ability, something the Dolphins discovered for themselves last preseason, you might recall, when he had a pair of sacks in that exhibition game. And he had a 10-and-a-half-sack season as a rookie when the games began to count. He's looking for his first sack of the 2020 season. He goes 262 pounds, 33-and-a-half-inch arms. He ran a 4-6-3 40-yard dash with impressive 10- and 20-yard splits as well. He splits his pass rush operation evenly between the right and left side. According to Pro Football Focus, that's a 54% off the right side, 46% off the left side as far as where he aligns. And so when he does line up off the offense's left, he'll get athletic rookie Austin Jackson, who has not allowed a quarterback hit through two games so far. And off the right side, he's going to draw a battle-tested veteran Jesse Davis, who's allowed just five pressures on the season. And then the third matchup, and perhaps my favorite, the one that I think this game might come down to, is Ryan Fitzpatrick versus both Miles Jack and Joe Schobert, the two linebackers of the Jaguars we referenced earlier on in this podcast and on the preview piece up on MiamiDolphins.com. All but three of Jacksonville's 16 quarterback pressures have come from their down linemen. They don't rush the quarterback all that often with linebackers. Miles Jack and Joe Schobert, primarily coverage guys, they play in that Todd Wash defense, and Todd Wash came from that Seattle tree with Gus Bradley and Pete Carroll, where they love to get pressure on the quarterback with their down four, play that cover three on the back end, and really force the quarterback to beat you into tight windows with a good pass rush from the front four. The two linebackers, Schobert and Jack, have played a combined 200 and 72 snaps this year, and they've rushed the pass rate combined 13 times. That means Brian Fitzpatrick is going to have to influence these instinctive, rangy linebackers to pick apart his preferred area of the field, the middle of the field between the numbers, testing the middle through two games per PFF. Fitzpatrick is 34 of 42 with 363 passing yards and two touchdowns throwing the football over the middle. He also has the two interceptions, but high completion rate, high yards per attempt, attacking down the seam. Linebacker Miles Jack led Jacksonville's defense, or leads it rather, in a plethora of categories. He has the most tackles with 16, run stops at 13, sacks, he's got one. That's tied with Caleb on chase on despite the limited pass rush exposure he has, and he has just one missed tackle on the season. Schobert last year in Cleveland led all NFL linebackers with four interceptions. He also broke up nine passes and forced two fumbles, so really, really good ball production there from the new free agent acquisition of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fitzpatrick 
Patrick repeatedly went to work on the in-breaking routes on a variety of targets on Sunday, throwing to Isaiah Ford, to Mike Gesicki, Devontae Parker, catching the middle part of the football field. And a lot of that was set up through the play-action game. Fitzpatrick has the highest completion percentage differential between play-action passes and traditional setups. Throwing from play-action, he completes 28.2% more of his passes than on traditional pass setups. His ability to influence these two linebackers of the Jacksonville defense and take away the middle of the football field, whoever wins that part of the field could have a big impact on this game. The Jacksonville system offensively, they've ran 122 plays through their first two games. That's the sixth fewest in the NFL. And the primary grouping they call on is 11 personnel, like most teams in the National Football League. One running back, one tight end, three receivers. And new offensive coordinator Jay Gruden dials up that bread and butter 62% of the time. The Jags don't really have a secondary package because all the rest of them are kind of sparsed out. So no significant increase from one package to the next, really. They do use 21 personnel and 12 personnel the next most. Those have been ran 11% of the time and 7% of the time so far for the Jacksonville offense. And they will utilize the versatility they have on offense to get themselves into different personnel groupings, most notably through wide receiver LaVisca Chenault Jr., although calling him a receiver is disingenuous. The rookie who did this at Colorado took wildcat snaps, took jet sweep snaps, took zone read snaps at the running back position, played in line, played out wide. He has been out wide this year, 45 snaps. He's played in the slot 15 times. He's been in the backfield 10 times. He's been in line as basically a quasi tight end slash H-back role three times. and even played quarterback for one direct snap this year. So he'll be all over the football field for this Jacksonville offense. And this approach allows Jacksonville to get into those empty looks that Gardner Minshew loved in college. You go five wide, whether you've got a tight end, a running back on the field, five receivers on the field, get into the empty set, use that quick trigger and decisive approach to get the football out before the pass rush can arrive. The ball comes out in less than two and a half seconds on 54% of Minshew's dropbacks, and he's completing 81% of those passes per pro football focus. Jacksonville's pair of linebackers that haven't left the field, we talked about them already, Jack and Schobert. They are joined by Trey Herndon and C.J. Henderson as well as safety Josh Jones as the five defenders on that side of the football with better than 90% workloads through two weeks. And Jack and Schobert rarely come after the quarterback. The Jaguars dial up blitz just 9.6% of the time. That's the seventh lowest rate in the National Football League. Some final new, some final thoughts and game notes here. Jacksonville leads the all-time series 5-4 to four, courtesy of the lone playoff game between these two teams. Of course, we know the result of that game in 1999. The Dolphins have not beaten Jacksonville since 2014, with the Jaguars boasting a two-game win streak over their in-state rivals. And both defenses are going to have their conditioning put to the test in their three-point defeats on Sunday, both Miami and Jacksonville, two Buffalo and Indianapolis had nine players on defense exceed 40 snaps. So a quick turnaround here. We'll see who has the conditioning to stay for 60 minutes. Ryan Fitzpatrick has enjoyed success in his career against Jacksonville. He's unbeaten in his last three starts against the Jaguars, and he's looking for his fourth out of five games on Thursday night football with a passer rating better than 105 in his career. Running back Miles Gaskin had a career-high 82 yards from scrimmage last week, and he's looking for his fifth consecutive game with 50 yards from scrimmage. And Mike Kosicki's career day for eight catches, 130 receiving yards, gives him 160 yards on the season. That leads all tight ends. So there's your preview. Intriguing matchup on primetime on Thursday Night Football. As always, we are going to recap this game both on MiamiDolphins.com as well as on the Drive Time Podcast post game, And I'll be tweeting throughout the game, of course, as well. Getting you through Dolphins-Jaguars primetime in week number three. 
Let's go ahead and hear from our last player media availability, starting with Dolphins right tackle, Dolphins offensive lineman Jesse Davis, who first was asked about the quick turnaround going from Sunday to Thursday. Um, just recovery, you know, how quick you can get out of one week and into the next with, you know, dropping what you're doing with watching film of the other game and then just moving right into the next one. So just having, a, you know, a short memory loss there and moving in. Hey, Jesse, wanted to ask you guys about uh, going up against defensive end Josh Allen. You saw him a couple of times, I think, in the preseason, his first year in. Just want to see what you get from him on tape. Yeah, he's a good player. You know, he's quick, um, good lateral movement. Um, you know, it would be a good good matchup for us with him and how fast he is. But, you know, they have a good, they have a good line anyways, you know. So it's like every week we prepare the same way. Um, you know, our one goal, get a win, protect fits, and get the run game going. And speaking of getting that run game going up next, Jesse Davis was asked about what he ideally envisions the identity of this offensive line looking like here in Miami. Yeah, I think the identity of us, you know, we want to be respected. We want to be feared when we go into a game. We want to be able to do our job and do it well. And uh, moving forward, I think, um, you know, we're starting to build that chemistry. We're starting to gel and gel well nicely together. And it's just, you know, every week and just keep, putting it on tape and keep doing what we've been doing. We're going to hear from quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick in just one moment, but first let's go ahead and talk to one of his receivers in Isaiah Ford, who first here discusses the freedom receivers have in Chan Gilly's offense. We've heard Jakeem Grant, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Chan himself talk about the freedom this system creates for the receivers. Here's Isaiah Ford on just that topic. Uh, So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, There's certain concepts that we have where if it's a, defense is playing zone and it's more about being in the right spots um you know running the route route sometimes you may have to open it up for another receiver and then when it's man coverage that's when he really allows us to have that freedom and um being at at the spot that he's expecting us to be at but the how we get to that destination um is really on us you know being creative and getting to that spot And we've heard a few times now about the relationship between Isaiah Ford and Ryan Fitzpatrick and the ability for them to get on the same page on offense. Here is Ford talking about his quarterback and what he means to this offense. I just think his leadership and his command in the huddle kind of gives everyone a sense of peace, you know, Um, especially us having a lot of younger guys. You know, he he's always calm, you know, comforting. And even if he makes a joke or something, whatever the case may be, but he does a really good job at getting everyone comfortable and ready to go out and execute. You might recall the feature we did back in training camp on Isaiah Ford. I had a chance to ask him about his post-reception celebration spinning the football on the turf. On Sunday, he got up and did a little bit of a flex. Here's where that came from. Nah, uh, it's, and it's something that I've kind of joked around with the guys in the receiver room with is me um, adding that weight this offseason and putting on some of that muscle. So being able to kind of take some of those hits and, and that kind of bounce back up a little bit. So just something, something fun that I've, I've been uh, messing with the guys about. Let's stay on the offensive side of the football and hear next from Dolphins running back Matt Breida, who first was asked about his role in the offense and the way he accepts and approaches that role here in Miami. It's, uh, it's understood since day one that, you know, um, whatever they ask me to do, I told them since day one I'm going to do. Um, I'm not the type of guy who's going to complain about how many carries I get, how many yards I get, if I make it to the Pro Bowl. Like, at the end of the day, uh, we want to win. We want to win championships. That's what we're paid to do. Uh, you know, if I was paid to, you know, worry about how many number of yards I would get, then that'd be a different story. But uh, I'm paid to, you know, win championships, and that's our end goal. So, uh, you know, we just want to win. 
And on the topic of winning, here is Matt discussing the Dolphins getting close against the Buffalo Bills, taking that fourth quarter lead and having opportunities late in that game to seize victory. Here's Brita on taking advantage of those opportunities. Uh, yeah, like I said, it, it's everyone on the team, you know, players, um, even even the coaches, you know, everyone feels like we could have done a better job um, during the game. And uh, we're all going to keep working to make sure that we can uh, finish the games because, you know, we're right there. And let's go ahead and finish up here with quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, who first was asked to talk about Jacksonville quarterback Gardner Minshew. Uh, I, I haven't seen him play a ton, but the few times I have, it, um, you know, I like watching him. I enjoy his playing style. It looks like he's out there, you know, having fun. And uh, he's been, I mean, it's not easy to play quarterback in this league. It's not easy to play as a young quarterback and, He's already had a lot of success. He's had a great start to the season. So, um, you know, he's he's a guy. I don't think I've played against him, so I'm excited to, to watch him play and see how he does. We're going to come back to Minshew and the debate between mustaches and beards here in just one second. But first, here is Fitzpatrick on what Chan Gailey's offense in an ideal world operating at full efficiency, at full power, looks like and what it does to create matchup opportunities for the offense. Uh, I, I think it's supposed to be an offense that changes every week, but an offense that tailors to our strengths. So, for example, with the when I was in New York with Chan, uh, I don't. I mean, you can look at the stats of the tight ends and how many catches they had, but I don't think any of them had a hundred yards even in a season. So, um, you know, we've got different skill sets and different guys here that we want to try to get involved. Uh, whether it's, you know, the big guys on the outside, whether it's our quick guys on the inside, Isaiah Ford had a great game last week, um, continuing to get the running backs more involved. I just think as we're going here, he's going to continue to figure out what's going to make us a good offense, a dynamic offense, and we'll keep feeding those parts. So um, I think part of the the charm in his offense is how multiple it is and you know, the ability for it to look different from week to week. And while game does recognize game when it comes to playing the quarterback position, Fitzpatrick says maybe the beard game a little stronger than Minshew's mustache. Just the continued hard work and continued passion for the game. Those are two things that, you know, if you have a little bit of success, little bit of success you just can't lose sight of. Um, and then the mustache versus the beard. Uh, I mean, I, I think the beard is a cooler look. And I think guys that grow mustaches a lot of times have patchy sides for their beards. So they just stick with the mustache. But um, my wife appreciates the mustache trimmed up a little bit more. But she does hate the beard, too. So I guess that's a lose-lose for me. Uh, I have a question for you that I'm sure is something you've seen on film. But I read some stats earlier in my research on this game. And Jacksonville sends an extra rusher at the seventh lowest rate in the NFL. And they have two linebackers in Schobert and Jack who have played a combined 270 snaps and only 13 combined pass rush snaps between the two. So my question is, what's the difference between playing a team that dials up pressure relentlessly versus a team that plays more coverage based? Well, you know, for me as a, as a quarterback, you look at some of that stuff and you look at tendencies, but if they do blitz, then we need to have an answer for it. So you know, I can't sit here and rely on those things. We've got to have answers for everything. Um, but you know, part of it is when you go into a game, are these guys generating pressures and hurries and how do they do it? Do they rush forward? Do they bring exotics? Uh, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. You know, with so little film, 
we can look at years past and things that have happened, but you kind of have to be ready for everything. So uh, we just continue to look at matchups. We continue to look at uh, what they want to do with those guys, just like us trying to put our guys in good positions to make plays. Uh, but definitely, you know, it's going to be a, a matchup game like it always is. And we'll try to, um, as best we can, get our guys on the guys that we want to get them on and, and try to create those good matchups. Let's go ahead and finish up this Wednesday podcast with my exclusive interview with Dolphins running back Miles Gaskin, who finally answered the question for me, why did you break my heart four years in a row in the Apple Cup? And I'm joined now by Dolphins' second-year running back, the leading rusher on the team right now, Miles Gaskin. Miles, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad, man. I got some questions for you here. I wanted to really kind of focus on our geographical, I suppose, upbringing, you and I. We both come from the Pacific Northwest. You were born in Linwood. And I just wanted to ask you, that's an area up there that's known for several like institutions like Starbucks, Dick's Burgers, Costco started out there. It's nationwide now, but it began there. Maybe it's the grunge era. I don't know if you're a Nirvana or a Pearl Jam guy, but what's the one Pacific Northwest institution that you miss the most? I'll probably say Dick's Burgers. I'll probably say that for sure. I miss home sometimes, but that's probably one thing I do. When I do go home, go slide by Dick's, give me a burger and shake. Hang out outside and then, uh, and get that fast food going. It's probably not the best food for you, but I definitely miss it as well myself, man. It's, it's good stuff. And and on that topic, um, are you a basketball guy, Miles? A little bit. I like I like watching. I'm not too good, but I like watching. So maybe a little bit before your time, but the, the Seattle Supersonics broke my heart when they moved in 2008. You were still pretty young at the time, but I'm just curious, was that your team growing yeah. up? Yeah, that was my team when uh... – I think it was Kevin Durant's rookie year. I think he was there for his rookie year, and then he left, and then they got really good with OKC. So, like, just, like, the missing him kind of, like, grew on me. It was like, dang, like, they had James Harden, they had uh, Russell Westbrook and uh, KD. So that kind of hurt, but I missed them. Hopefully they come back. Hopefully they work some things out so they can come back. Did you wind up becoming an OKC fan? Yeah, I did, actually. I like I like KD uh, when he was there. I know he's gone now, but I was in my squad for the past couple of years. Man, that that's blasphemy, Miles. I gotta say, man, we uh, I went the other way. I I became a, a OKC hater. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, they took our team. It was it was so brutal. They were there for so long, and really before you know the the Seahawks were never a good team in the '80s and '90s, and the Mariners certainly weren't either. So it was kind of a Sonics town there for a long time. Yeah, that was before my time, but yeah. <laughs> I understand. Well, on that topic, are you a baseball guy too, Seattle Mariners? Because I love my Mariners, man. I like the Mariners, but I know nothing about them. (laughs) I go to the game, uh, enjoy the games, I enjoy the atmosphere, but win or lose, I have a good time with the game. Yeah, Safeco Field's gorgeous, man. For my money, the best park in all of baseball. Yeah, I love it there. Do you have a favorite Mariners player growing up? Was were you also a little bit too young for King Griffey Jr. or do you remember him too? Uh, I remember him. person I liked the most was Ichiro when he was there. Um, just, just uh, I never really watched baseball. Like I said, I, I just kind of enjoyed the game part of it. But he was like the first person I watched as a Mariner that like I was very impressed with on the way he played. Just always kind of making like some wild plays. So that was my guy. Yeah, Hall of Famer or 
is he in the Hall of Fame yet? I can't remember. Anyway, he should be soon. Anyway, uh, I don't think he's been retired for long enough, but he'll be there when he's when he's eligible for sure. Um, let's let's talk about a sport you are familiar with and one that. Miles, you broke my heart several years in a row, sir. I am a Washington State Cougar alumni, so I'll let you just go ahead and laugh about that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some good games, I guess. I think it was, I want to say it was 800 yards and eight touchdowns you had in four years against us. That sound uh, right? Probably something like that. <laughs> probably something like that. Oh, yeah. man. Let, so I'll, let me just explain to you what Apple Cup looks like for a Washington State uh, Cougar fan. So we especially when you were there, that was kind of the turn when things got better for us as, as Cougs fans was that, you know, Mike Leach came around and they started playing better football, winning more games. And it seems like every year that you were there, that was basically for the PAC 12 North and we would get all hyped up. My friends would come over. It was, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, everybody was off work. We were all excited about the game. And then about a quarter in, it was a bad mood. So you know, it, it would we would eat a bunch of food, watch the game, and then afterwards there would be a bunch of tweets from former Huskies. And I want to say that you were one of them, maybe last year, and I, I think it was you, maybe not, correct me if I'm wrong, that had a tweet that was something like, you know, every time we play the Apple Cup, they know what's up, we know what's up, and then it happens like that. Do you recall that? I don't, but I wouldn't be surprised if I said something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it just always worked out in our, our favor. I love that type of game, just playing at the playing at home. I mean, either way, just knowing like a lot of people that went to uh, Washington State, obviously uh, UW while I was there, just kind of just knowing the whole crowd. Like either I went to school with them, it, it was always a good atmosphere. Do you think was that the the best game every year on the schedule for you guys? Like as far as like getting up for it, and having the most fun? No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, kind of. Uh, we had some other. We like. I like playing against Utah. That was my favorite team to play against. Is that because they were a pretty, a much more physical team? Yeah, they used to talk a lot more too. <laughs> well, I, I remember watching some of those Apple Cubs. It seems like they would never get out of that too high defense. But that's for another day. I'll, I'll go ahead and leave that complaint for another day. I do want to talk about a coach that was. I want to say on the UW staff when you were there, who's now in Miami, in Gerald Alexander. That's correct, right? Mm-hmm. Or he wasn't there while I was there. He left when I was like a senior in high school. Oh, okay. But I did know him when and I committed to UW. Uh, was around the around the stadium, around the building a lot. So I did know him uh, before he took off to go to Cal. So, and then now he's here. It's kind of crazy how small his world is. So yeah, it really is, right? And and. Uh... What can you say about GA? Like, what did you? What's your first impression, and what do you think about him now that you're here uh, playing with, on, you know, under his staff? Um, great dude. Uh, I always thought he was a great dude. Uh, when when I was hanging out when I was back in high school, I always kind of connected with him. Always talked with him. Uh, obviously, coached the other side of the ball, but very encouraging. Uh, very vocal guy. Very motivating. So, I mean, nothing but great things about him, and uh, glad to have him on staff. And on the topic of relationships with you, Miles, I read an article recently that talked about this relationship that you developed with the sideline crew there at UW at that stadium there. And they talked about, you know, you took time out of your day after one game to go over and take a picture with a six man crew. They talked about how genuine of a person you were. Can you tell us about that relationship and maybe where that character trait, that genuine personality comes from? I don't I guess just kind of seeing them all the time, just kind of like in the heat of the moment, heat of the battle, just kind of seeing them talking to them after the game and just kind of chopping it up before the game with all those guys. So, I mean, I, I grew from freshman year to senior year to actually like 
create like an actual friendship with those guys. You know what I mean? I, I loved every second of it. You know, that's not necessarily the relationship people like assume you create. Usually, you like talking to your teammates or coaches, but I mean, those guys always just kind of we always just chopping it up, laughing and joking after the game, before the game. It was kind of weird, but it was, it was nice. Yeah, something you certainly developed there in the college atmosphere. You just you can't beat that. You know, talking about both UW and WSU, it's a lot of fun on that campus during game days, and especially for you, a player, I'm sure. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here. We're both again PNW guys, Miles, and there are some things that I certainly miss. I've been here for less than a year. You a little bit more than a year now, but there are some things I don't miss as well. What is your like pros and cons list when it comes to comparing the Pacific Northwest to South Florida? Do you have some things you miss more than others? Some things you like down here more than others? I miss I miss just kind of just the home atmosphere, just knowing where everything is, knowing just knowing where to go when there's bad traffic and stuff like that. Out here, I just got to sit in it. I don't really know what to do. I just follow my phone. <laughs> but I love it out here. Outside of that, I love it out here. It's hot. I mean, sometimes that kind of makes me mad, just kind of just sweating all the time. But I, it's just so much different, like, out here, there's lizards everywhere. In Seattle, you don't see lizards anywhere. Uh, alligators, stuff like that. Different types of food. It's just, it's just total two different places. I love it though. I love the change. I spent my whole life in Washington growing up in four years of college. So like this big jump. Last year was a big jump. It was kind of eye opening. But coming back down here the second time, getting ready for the season again, I was, I was more than excited to be back down here in South Florida. So. Have you encountered an alligator yet? Yeah, I've seen like three or four. I I got a dog, so I like walk her around like these canals, and I can see like these little, not big, not little alligators, but not huge yeah. alligators either. But like you can kind of see them like pop their head up, look at my dog. I'm like, ah, nah, not today, <laughs> <laughs> not today. My dog. Uh, no, it's just crazy that like day to day life is just like you see an alligator every once in a while. So. I know, man. I'll go on my back my back porch and I'll see a lizard on the wall. It's like, whoa, and it kind of like freaks you out. My, my first day, my second day here, mm-hmm. I got here in July and I saw an alligator climbing down the bank on Sheridan back into the little canal that I was like, okay, that's going to be like an everyday thing, but I haven't seen one since. Now, one other topic I want to finish up here with on you, Miles, is the, is the rain because you know, we had that giant rainstorm the last couple of days here in kind of that tropical feel. It's, it's a warm rain, but you're from the Pacific Northwest on the west side of the mountains, and I, I'm from the east side of the mountains where it's dry, desert. I know you probably know the difference in Washington State. Most folks down here, I have to explain, western Washington's forest and eastern Washington's all desert and dry. Do you miss the rain, or did you like yeah. the rain up there? I miss, I miss the Seattle rain. Like, out here, when it rains, it's kind of scary, to be honest. It's like <laughs> pouring like when you're driving in your car, you gotta have your windshield wipers all the way going. Like you got bundle, not bundle up out here, but like you get like wet, wet out here if you get caught in the rain. In Seattle, like it rains a little bit. I can put on a hoodie and still get done when I need to get done. When it rains out here, I'm staying in the house or staying wherever I'm at. Actually, funny story. When I first came down here, I don't know when it was like first time. It was like the first weekend we had off. Went to the movies, it was sunny, just like how it always is. And coming out of the movies, it was pouring down rain, and I had walked to the movie theater. So I thought I could <laughs> run back. I, I ran back, got all the way back to the hotel. Phone was broken, just ruined my day. And I was like, yep, that's the last time I try and <laughs> tough out the rain. So. Was that the fastest 40 time you ever clocked right there? No, nah, I gave up. <laughs> I gave up. <laughs> I got caught in the lights. <laughs> yeah. 
it happens to me going from from the building back to like where i do the podcast in the studio back here on the back of the campus i get caught out there like every single day it seems like man so i feel you on that miles gaskin dolphins running back formerly of uw breaking cougars hearts four years in a row we're glad you gone miles but we're happy you're here man appreciate your time appreciate you So there you go. Tons of information and nuggets and juicy insight into this Thursday night game at Jacksonville there from your quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, running back, Matt Breida, right tackle, Jesse Davis, as well as receiver, Isaiah Ford, the game preview, the keys to the game from John Kinjemi, all that content up on MiamiDolphins.com. We're going to recap this game tomorrow night, but before we do that as well, we have the flashback podcast out talking about some Jags Dolphins games of the past and really, well, let's be honest, Mostly losses because this rivalry started off with a couple of big Jacksonville wins between the two Dolphins and Jaguars. So we'll cover that on tomorrow's edition of Drive Time with Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie, the hosts of the Fish Tank podcast here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. But as for now, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.